All my life, been grinding all my life Sacrifice, hustle pay the price Want a slice, got to roll the dice That's why, all my life, I been grinding all my life It's time to grind! Hello everyone and welcome to the Grounded Podcast. I'm your host Randall Tucker. That was Nipsey Hussle bringing us in with his song Grinding All My Life. Let's hit that rail we call life and let's grind it. In this episode of Grinded, we're going to start breaking down John chapter 5. And one of the things I like to do to prepare for these podcasts is I read the chapter a day or two in advance just to see if anything stands out and generates in my mind and I'll jot some things down I'll put it in my phone or whatever and then I'll I'll take a look at the notes that I've, I've written down over the past couple of days and then uh, just start putting stuff together and ideas together and, and fleshing them out but uh, the other night as I was going to bed I started reading John chapter 5 and I just got through the first 18 verses and I had to stop because something just immediately jumped off the page at me uh, when I read those first 18 verses and I started writing notes down on my phone, and I, I needed to go to bed because I had to get up early that morning, and I, I, I couldn't go to sleep. I just kept tossing and turning, and I'd think about more things, and I and I would put it in my phone. And so that Sunday morning, I I put the, uh, some thoughts on Facebook and got a lot of responses from people. Uh, and, and so what I want to do today is uh, I want to read these first 18 verses, then I want to share with you what jumped out at me so strong, uh, and I have to tell you, I, I've I've read the Bible uh, several times. I've read the New Testament many times, and I've got a Bible degree. I've I've studied the I took the Bible to school when I was in third grade. I've I've been reading and studying the Bible for a long time, and not to say that I know a lot about it or anything, but as many times as I've studied this passage, read this passage. Uh, heard this passage preached on. I've preached on this passage several times, and never has what I'm about to share with you ever even crossed my mind. But it just jumped off the pages at me when I read it, and so this is what I want to share with you uh, in in this podcast today. Uh, but first, I want to read John chapter five verses one through eighteen, and you have to remember that Jesus has been a few days in Samaria remember we, I covered that in a, a podcast or two ago uh, when he was talking to the lady there in some uh, the well in Samaria and then he travels to Galilee then to Cana where he has healed a government official's son who was dying with a high fever and so John chapter 5 verse 1 starts off like this afterward Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days so he's been traveling through these these little villages and now he's going to come to Jerusalem for this Jewish holy day. And so he goes inside the city near the sheep gate, which John says was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. There's crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, and they're laying on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Now, how did Jesus know that? Because at this point in time, Jesus is only about 30 years old. And this man's been laying on this porch for 38 years. And he's lame and been lame for a long time because Jesus is God. And we covered that in a, long, in a, in a podcast several uh, podcasts ago. But Jesus knew that this man had been laying here for 30, and he had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, verse 6, 
and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. And they said to the man who was, who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. See, that's what the, the religious leaders, that's what they were more concerned about. They didn't care that this man had been sick and lame for 38 years and had no chance of getting uh, healed because nobody would help him get in the water. They didn't care about that. They, they cared that he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. That's another lesson uh, to itself. And John says in verse 10 that the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me to pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus enters Jerusalem for this Jewish holy day and he passes through an area where the Pool of Bethesda is. Now John describes it as having five covered porches around it. And the Pool of Bethesda was discovered in uh, around the 19th century and you can actually google pics of it and watch videos as if you were there. And one of the videos that I chose to watch, uh, the guide is, is pointing stuff out and he points out to where you can still see remnants of the arches that belong to these five porches that John is talking about. It's really neat. Uh, Bethesda in Aramaic means house of mercy. And what it was is people believed that an angel came down from heaven and stirred the waters of the pool. And if you were the first to get in the waters, then you were healed of whatever ailment you had. And so John says crowds of sick people, and it's crowds, plural. Remember, there's five porches, and these porches are covered with these Crowds of sick people. John says they're blind, they're lame, they're paralyzed. They have all these ailments. And they're laying on these porches. But you got, you got to think about it. This pool was the only hope that these people had of being cured or healed of their sicknesses. So you can just imagine how big the crowds were. It was their hope. And if they could get into that water, then they're healed. So if they knew and realized that their only hope was to get into that water, then there's going to be a lot of people hanging around this area waiting for that water to be stirred so they can jump in and be healed. Now, John never says how many people are there, but I'm sure the number is great. I mean, you just think about it. If that was your only hope, more than likely, you're going to be there waiting for that water to be stirred so you can get in. And so then one day Jesus comes strolling into the area and here is God in the flesh walking among all these people who are sick, blind, paralyzed, has all these illnesses. He has worked some miracles already and he can heal these people just by speaking a word. 
He has to see all of these people who lay around waiting for the water to be stirred and feel sorry for them, right? I mean, think about it. This is Jesus here. He can heal them just by speaking a word, every one of them. Surely Jesus is going to heal them all so that they can get on with their lives as normal as possible, right? Wrong. He comes to a man, a man, one man, who has been paralyzed for 38 years, and he has a discussion with him. And he asks him if he'd like to get well. And the guy says, dude, I, I, I can't because I can't get in the water when, when the water's stirred. Nobody help me get in there. And so Jesus tells him, stand up, pick up your mat, and, and, and get on with your life, dude. And instantly, not on down the road, but instantly, the man was healed. A miracle took place in front of all these people's eyes. This man had been paralyzed, unable to move for 38 years. And in a blink of an eye, a snap of a finger, however you want to word it, this man, his body parts became strong as an ox, and he just leaps up, folds up his mat, and goes on about his merry way. He was instantly healed, and he began walking. In all of my years of studying the Bible and reading and preaching on this passage, I've always focused on the man's healing. Any sermon that I've ever heard on this passage focuses on the man's healing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when I read John chapter 5 to prepare for this podcast, I want to share with you what jumped out at me so strong from this passage. As awesome as it was, Jesus healed one person. One. Out of how many? Well, John doesn't say. But if your hope is is in that water being stirred, you're going to be, if you have a, a serious illness or a sickness or you know whatever, fill in the blank, and your hope is in that water being stirred, you're going to be there and you're going to be hanging out there because you're waiting for that water to be stirred so you can be the first to get in so that you can be healed. And I'm sure there were, those, porch, those five porches were covered in people and there's probably people even laying around Besides the porches, they're probably all over the place waiting and watching that uh, for that water to be stirred so they can get in. How many was there? 25? 50? 100 people? We don't know. But I guarantee you there were several people there. A lot of people there. Well, my question is this. What about the other people? Why didn't he heal the whole crowd. Why did Jesus go up to one man and heal the one man and leave all the other people in the crowd still sick, still paralyzed, whatever they had was wrong with them with them before Jesus came was still wrong with them after Jesus left. It just doesn't seem fair to me. And we'll talk about that when we come back. Let's take a break. Lost my board, fifth my shins. Trash. We sing a song in our worship band called Waymaker by Leland. And the lyrics go like this. You are Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. 
You are here touching every heart. You are here healing every heart. You are here turning lives around. You are here mending every heart. And then it goes back through it again. You're a way maker. Miracle worker. I'm sure that Jesus' fame has spread like wildfire after he turned the water into wine and and he had this conversation with this lady and 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 she's gone all into Samaria and talking about we found the Messiah and he's healed this uh, uh, government official's son. He's been out in the wilderness baptizing people. People quit coming to John the Baptist and they started going to Jesus out there to be baptized. The, everybody knows. Well, I can't say everybody because I don't know for sure. But there's a lot of people who know about Jesus. And I can't help but think that these people probably at one point or another had heard about this man who's traveling around and working these miracles. But yet, right now, their faith is in this angel coming down and stirring this water so that they can jump in this pool and be healed. That's that's where their hope is. And so, one day, the miracle worker comes walking in amongst these five porches filled with all of these sick people who are blind and, and, and paralyzed, whatever. They have all kinds of ailments. He has the power to speak a word and heal every single person there. But yet he healed how many? One. He had that conversation with that man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And he healed one person. Why didn't he heal the whole crowd? What about the rest of them? Does he care? See, this just doesn't seem fair. They were all hurting. They're all in pain. They're all in misery. And they're all expecting and they're all hoping, just like this one man. And they see what just took place to this one man. This is all—it's not taking place in secret. It's taking place right there in front of everybody. They know this man well. He has been laying there for a long time, and no one would ever help him get in the water. Why did Jesus choose him and him only? I, I don't know. Maybe it's because he didn't—he couldn't get in the water. Nobody would help him. And so Jesus had, since it is called the house of mercy, Bethesda, maybe Jesus was showing mercy to this guy because maybe the other people could get into the pool. I don't know why Jesus just healed this one person and not all the others. But you know these people had to be crying out for help after seeing what they saw Jesus do to this for this paralyzed man. And... and and it, it's just, it's just, it's just not right. It's just not fair. God, why? Why is this happening to me? You see where I'm going with this? Nothing has changed today. We are the other crowd because we see people being healed we see people being blessed and and it seems like our lives are, are nothing but full of turmoil and heartache and trials and tribulations and we're you know and we're fighting this disease and we're fighting that disease and we're we're battling this sickness and we have this going on in our lives and that going in our life and and it seems like that person over there 
don't even live for God. They, 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 they follow Satan, and yet it just seems like everything is going their way. It's just not fair, God. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why don't you do something about this situation? Why don't you stop this? You have the power to do so. You can speak a word. You're way maker, miracle worker. Sound familiar? And just like those sick people laying around, they probably thought, hey, bro, I'm sick too. I need healing too. Why would you heal him and not me? Or us even? I'm living better than he is. I, I've been laying here a long time in expectations too. I've been praying a long time too. And yet, the more I pray, it just seems like I hear crickets. Nothing's happening. I can't believe he got blessed and I'm not. You're right here. Do something about it. I feel like God just doesn't care. And in fact, you may even feel like God has deserted you. Like God doesn't care. And like God has left you all alone to suffer. Here's my point. Did Jesus know that there were others who needed him? Yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. But they still had hope. They still had the hope that he would return and heal them all. And I'm certain that they were constantly waiting and watching to see him come through again. He had to leave because of the pressure from the religious leaders because they did not agree with uh, with what Jesus did. He healed on the Sabbath. So maybe that's why he didn't get to heal everybody. I don't know. I wasn't there and John doesn't say. But I know them people were left in the condition that they were in before Jesus came there. And after Jesus left, he only healed one person out of all of that crowd that was there on those five porches. He healed one person. But they still had hope. And I guarantee you, just like they were laying there waiting for that water to be stirred, they were waiting and watching to see if Jesus would return to that area again in hopes that he would heal them. I guarantee it. It's called expectation. It's called hope. It's called living by faith. And see, we too, although we suffer now, we continue to watch for our hope. We keep watching and waiting for Jesus. You see, Jesus knows what you're dealing with. He knows your pain. He sees every tear that falls from your eyes. Keep waiting. Keep expecting with hope, with faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For Jesus will be passing our way soon. Listen, He's coming again. When? I don't know. But He's coming again. And if you die in your condition that you're in, but you die in faith, you die living for Jesus, you get to go to be with Him forever in eternity in heaven where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. It's a win-win. Here's, here's what I'm trying to tell you. 
Don't let the temporal destroy the eternal. Let me repeat that. Don't let the temporal destroy the eternal. Let me explain it like this. This life is temporary. James says it's like a vapor. It's only here a little while and it's gone. If you take an aerosol can, a hairspray or whatever, and you spray it, that mist is gone so fast. It's gone in like a blink. Let's say God allows us to live 80 to 90 years. Now you compare that to eternity, and that's nothing. It's a vapor, just like James says. It's gone so fast. And anything that goes on in this life, good or bad, is temporary. How many times does the Bible say, it shall come to pass? A lot. It says it a lot. When I was going through my back surgeries, I was getting a degree in Hispanic studies, and I came across a word that was found inside of a Mayan temple. And it's, the word is uchi. U-T-C-H-I. Uchi. And it means, it shall come to pass. And I had it tattooed on my neck because I wanted that reminder that this pain, as bad as it was, was temporary. It would someday pass. In Revelation 21, 3 and 4, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone, how long? Forever. They're gone forever. Why? Because we are in the presence of God for eternity. But see, here's the thing. We don't even have to wait until we get to heaven. We don't have to wait for eternity to be in the presence of God or for God to be with us because He is with us. And I want to explain that in John 14, beginning in verse 15. Jesus, talking to his disciples, he says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He will never leave you. Never means never. This hope, the, the, the advocate, the helper, he's gonna, he, the comforter, he will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all, all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now, talking about Jesus himself. And listen to this, and later will be in you. Jesus is saying, you know who, who the advocate is because I'm the advocate. And, and uh, I'll live with you now, but later on, I'm going to be in you. And he says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. And since I live, you also will live. And when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. Now listen to this. I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at at large? And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and listen to this, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Jesus says, my Father and I, we I, we love them, and we will make our home in each of them. Talking about us. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember my words are not my own. 
What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I'm still with you. When the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are baptized in His name. We receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 verses 38 and 39. The same Holy Spirit Jesus described to his disciples in John 14 that I just read, I will repeat what Jesus said to them. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. If we are filled with God's Holy Spirit, Jesus lives in us right now. God the Father lives in us right now. We don't have to wait for eternity to be in God's presence. We're already in it. And if that's not enough, the Hebrew author gives us a reminder in Hebrews 13, 5. He says, For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. You see, it's all about focus. Are we focusing on eternal things or temporary things? You see, Satan wants you to focus on temporary because when we focus on the temporary, we get discouraged, we get bummed out, we get depressed, and he starts whispering in our ears words of doubt. Where's God, huh? If God loved you, he wouldn't let this happen. If God cared about you, he'd do something about your situation. Just like he did with Job. Job lost everything. His wife told him to curse God and die. His friends accused him of sinning and, and God must be punishing him for something he has done. It was, But it was Satan whispering in his ear as he sat there in pain, scraping the boils with broken pottery. He was Satan was using Job's wife and his friends to whisper that negative, doubtful, getting him to try to fall away from God. Just curse God, die. It'll all be over with. He lost his money. He lost his things. He lost all of his animals. He lost his sons. He lost his daughters. He was left with nothing but pain and misery. And Job didn't do anything wrong to deserve it. And if you read the first part of the book of Job, it was Satan who went to God and asked God if he could oppress Job and get him to turn his back on God. Job never did anything wrong. Nothing. And at the end of Job's trial, or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call that, Everything was restored. But not only was everything restored, it was given to Job twice as much as he had before. You see, Job understood, even though at one point he thought it was God making him suffer, Job knew it was temporary. And even if it cost him everything, even his own life, he was not going to give up on God nor turn his back on God. He was going to grind it. He was going to endure it. He was going to keep going because he knew what awaited him in eternity. And Job was not about to allow something temporal to destroy his eternal. Those people that were laying at the pool of Bethesda and saw Jesus heal the man, I'm sure they were filled with hope. And they probably thought Jesus was going to heal them as well. And when he didn't, they were probably disappointed and sad. Maybe even mad. But here's the thing. They still had hope. They had the hope that they could get in the water when it was stirred, but they also had the hope that Jesus would return to their area and heal them too. I beg you, folks, no matter how bad it seems right now in your life, don't give up. Endure. Grind it. 
Keep going because we have hope. His name is Jesus. And we too are looking for the return of Jesus. And whether we see him when, we're, when, when he returns or after we pass from this temporary life here on earth into eternity, we will be in his presence pain-free, no more worries, no more cares, forever. But if we listen to Satan's whispers and we focus on the temporary, we will be tempted to let the temporal destroy, destroy our eternal. Look up, friend, for God is calling your name. He is with you. He knows your pain. He knows every tear that falls from your eyes, as I said a while ago. And he's saying, hold on just a little longer. I'm on my way and I'll see you soon. I want to end with this. Jesus didn't die on a cross to be buried for three days and be resurrected for you to be healed from your sickness. That's not or shouldn't be your focal, focal point. He didn't die on a cross. He didn't be buried for three days and be resurrected for you to be worry-free, to not have any more problems. And see, people think that when they become a Christian, life is supposed to be easy, and it doesn't work that way. Jesus did not die on a cross and go through so much pain and be buried for three days in, a, in this tomb and be resurrected for you to take it easy. No, he died on a cross and was buried for three days and was resurrected for you to be saved. And salvation does not equal easy. In fact, it gets harder because Jesus said if we want to follow him, we have to take up our cross, Luke 9.23. Look at the cross, my friend. It's a place of, of, of affliction. It's a place of pain. It's a place of loneliness. It's a place of desertion. It's not easy. But look at the rewards. And I'm going to end by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhand methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the Word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles. We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down. I get knocked down. That's what Paul says. That's where they get this song from. No, I'm just kidding. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. 
Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. Now listen to this. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us up with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. As God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up, Paul says. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. They're temporary. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. No, because they're temporary. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. In other words, we look to heaven. We look to Jesus because he is eternal. For the things we see now will soon be gone because they're temporary. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Don't let the temporal destroy your eternal. Look to Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Grind It Podcast today. You can send any questions or comments to grinditpodcast at gmail.com. Please join us next time, and when a challenge comes your way, just grind it. Been grinding all my life. Sacrifice. Hustle paid the price. Want a slice. Got to roll the dice. That's why. All my life. I've been grinding all my life. All my life.